Megan Greenfield, and I'm a partner in McKinsey's Boston office. Excited to be joined today by Dr. Kevin Churchwell, president and CEO of Boston Children's Hospital. Dr. Churchwell has had an illustrious career. Born in Tennessee, he is a graduate of Massachusetts Institute of Technology and Vanderbilt Medical School. Dr. Churchwell completed his pediatric residency and a clinical fellowship in pediatric critical care at Boston Children's Hospital. Prior to joining Boston Children's as Chief Operating Officer in 2013, he served as a CEO of two other children's hospitals. He is also an Associate Professor of Pediatric Anesthesia at Harvard Medical School. Welcome, Dr. Churchwell. To kick it off, for those of us in a global audience who are not as familiar with Boston Children's Hospital, tell us a little about it and what drew you there in 2013. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for the opportunity, Megan. A little bit about Boston Children's Hospital. Well, we've just finished celebrating last year our 150th anniversary. And so we're not the oldest children's hospital in the nation, but we're close to it. Uh, and we have had an incredible uh, journey in terms of our care for children. Uh, Boston Children's Hospital, uh, by one measure, is looked at as one of the leading children's hospitals in the world. U.S. News and World Report uh, does a piece of ranking every year. And for at least the past 10 years or so, we've been ranked number one. Now, I say that only just to give uh, folks a view of what we try to do at Boston Children's. And that, that number one ranking, uh, although it's nice to have, I think just describes in some respects the depth of what we try to do at Boston Children's in terms of what we provide. We work to be the leader in pediatrics, in pediatric research, pediatric clinical care, pediatric education, and our work in the community. And over the 150 years, we have been intentional around what we have uh, tried to recruit to and wanted to develop from that standpoint. That's our mission here. Uh, and that's what we continue to work toward. Uh, my relationship to Boston Children's, to be honest with you, Megan, is not an eight-year journey, uh, but more like 30 years. Uh, I first arrived at Boston Children's to do my internship and residency back in the 80s and spent over eight years here uh, in my training. Uh, I did, uh, when I practiced, pediatric critical care and spent two years on staff before I left and returned uh, about eight years ago with the opportunity of being the EVP of Health Affairs and Chief Operating Officer. Thank you for sharing. When you were named CEO back in March, one of your board members told the Boston Globe that you were level-headed and unflappable, which is incredibly impressive as the pandemic offered a leadership test like no other. Describe for us what it was like at Boston Children's back in those early days of the pandemic how has the clinical response to the health crisis evolved from then to today? That's a great question. The early days of the pandemic were days that uh, were a bit confusing, uh, but uh, we worked to provide clarity, especially early on, right? So as the nation was confronting the COVID crisis, the pandemic, we saw what was happening in New York. We saw what had happened in Italy the state of Massachusetts began to really develop a plan of action to counter uh, what was occurring elsewhere. At Boston Children's, uh, I remember vividly uh, St. Patrick's Day weekend. Uh, that was in March of 2020. 
where during that weekend, there were significant crowds uh, outside, parades, individuals having a great time. And as I was sitting at my desk, I realized we were going to head to significant problems if we did do something drastically. And all the other hospitals also realized it at the same time, that we had to change our practice. So during those days, I actually called all of our leadership, both physician, nursing, administrative leadership, and let them know that we were going to have to change our practice dramatically, meaning that we were all going to have to go remotely. Uh, and what I meant by that was that if you needed to be in the hospital, you could come to the hospital. If you didn't need to be in the hospital or in your office, you were going to work from home. And I gave everyone a week to get that done. It was incredible how we just all came together to figure out how to make that happen. And it, it happened in less than a week. It happened in about three days that we were able to put processes in uh, to have over 8,000 individuals work from home uh, to actually see patients remotely uh, via telemedicine or uh, other opportunities and to actually really decide who needed to be at the hospital, who needed care, and who didn't. And we've been working through that ever since in terms of how we are working together to make uh, things happen, to actually adjust to what this pandemic has continued to show us and uh, ask us to do. It's truly amazing. I think that's the fastest change in healthcare uh, that we've ever seen. Thinking about the role of leaders in a crisis, you have been widely recognized as a uniquely empathic CEO. Reflecting on your role at the height of this pandemic, how did you approach supporting your workforce, both those remotely and those on the front lines to help them navigate what was one of the most challenging times they've ever faced? Well, I appreciate you saying that, Megan. I, I will tell you that I continue to work on that empathy part. I think that what I've worked on and continue to work on is how do we become better servant leaders? How do we address and support those that work for us, that work with us? And during this pandemic is a great example of that, in that we sent everyone home, over 8,000 individuals, but also asked the question, what did they need to help them continue to work from home? And it turns out there were a lot of answers to that question. Thing, issues that we had not thought about before, child care, parental care, the support that's needed when your kids aren't in school and you still have to work. How do you deal with that? How do they stay effective, efficient in that regard? What do they need in terms of that support? And so we work to put those uh, programs in place, those opportunities in place with a continued listening cycle of what else is needed. What's needed to make your basement an office, from ergonomics uh, to the Wi-Fi system? Uh, because we still had to continue to take care of patients, and we still needed everyone to work as efficiently and as effectively as possible. And so it's a continuing process. Uh, the anxiety around the pandemic, am I going to have a job? When am I going to go back to work? You know, how do we communicate to them? How do we let them know that we are with them all the way? And so we made some important decisions uh, that we had the opportunity in our environment at Boston Children's Hospital to make. We decided and made the decision that no one would be furloughed, that everyone would continue to be paid as we moved forward, 
and we found out that was a very important decision in terms of how uh, everyone who worked at Boston Children's felt about working there, the anxiety that uh, they were encompassing, and how we could help them work through that. It continues to be a work in progress because the issues continue to change, but our goal is to keep in front of us, how can we be the best servant leaders we can possibly be? Because that is the impact that will truly make a difference in what we're trying to achieve as a hospital, uh, as an institution. I love that framing as a servant leader. I'd love to turn to a topic that has been front and center um, in the pandemic, which is mental and behavioral health. In addition to seeing the patients that are being impacted directly by COVID-19, the pandemic has taken a staggering toll on mental and behavioral health. We're seeing it impact adults and would love to get your thoughts. What has the mental and behavioral health issues um, that you're seeing facing children, um, both near-term and also longer-term ramifications? So, Megan, that's a really important question. Uh, I will tell you that for the most part, we have not seen a, a large number of children who are COVID positive presenting to the hospital with their infection. Uh, it remains a small number in the Northeast, certainly in the South, as you know, the numbers have increased dramatically over the last three months. Uh, and we are very much looking out for that. But what we have seen and what I've described as our pandemic during this time, during this 20 months, is the pandemic of children, pediatric patients, adolescents, young adults with behavioral and mental health issues that are, are presenting to our emergency department, uh, to our inpatient psychiatric units uh, in just exploding numbers. I'll just give you a, a couple of examples and some numbers. Prior to the COVID pandemic, the number of children that we were seeing per day, we thought that number was extremely high. That number was in the 20s. During the pandemic and currently, those numbers are now in the 50s to 70. And I get asked, well, how are you managing that? My usual answer is, well, hour by hour. That's our challenge to how do we create a system of care for our children with behavioral and mental health issues? Uh, that we currently don't have. Why is this problem exploding? Uh, the issues around uh, social isolation, the issues around not going to school, the issues around social media, uh, issues that we were seeing pre-pandemic have certainly exploded during this pandemic. And we've got to get a handle on those. Uh, we've got to create more of a continuum of care that encompasses the family uh, the primary care pediatrician, the school system, uh, the hospital, uh, the state, uh, in terms of providing and supporting programs and care for our children who are presenting, uh, because we cannot lose this generation. And this is our opportunity to really make a difference. That's really uh, tough numbers to digest. I would love to get your thoughts to the many uh, people who are listening here, whether the families, teachers, and others that are supporting um, these children. Any advice to them as they navigate and try to support these vulnerable children during this time? Well, we have found that uh, it is very important for the development of a continuation of care for our children where it's not just the family's responsibility or the primary care pediatrician's responsibility, 
But it is all of our responsibilities to work in concert, to provide support, whether it's the family unit, their primary care pediatrician, the school system, the hospital, the healthcare entity, uh, and the state support. And I am finding and believe that the solution is really based upon how we coordinate and work together and create that continuum for our kids. For our families, I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not isolated uh, in these issues and that we are here for you to reach out to. Uh, it is a stressful time, uh, but please know we are doing the best we possibly can to create that access to be available for the care of our children. I think that as we continue to learn more, continue to develop more opportunities, more programs, uh, that we will be more and more available. Technology is going to be very important from this standpoint. How we utilize technology for that outreach, whether it's telehealth or just a phone call, is something that we've got to really continue to explore and develop uh, in support of the care of our kids with behavioral and mental health issues. Thank you for that advice, uh, Dr. Churchwell. I want to turn um, as well, because not only have we had the pandemic of COVID-19, but also a nationwide reckoning with issues of racial equity and recognition that employers need to play a central role in helping uh, level the playing field and create opportunities for a diverse workforce. I'm sure these questions and the role of institutions making racial progress have been front and center from your father's role as one of the first black journalists hired by a white-owned Southern newspaper, and now you and your brothers both being executives at leading healthcare institutions. I would love to hear some of the key challenges large healthcare systems face when it comes to racial equity and lessons you've learned as a leader during this time when this um, issue has been in the spotlight. Well, I'll tell you, Megan, I don't consider them challenges. I consider them opportunities. Uh, I consider that what we have been presented is the opportunity to truly move this ball forward. Uh, this is extremely important to me personally, uh, but I think it's also important to healthcare. Uh, from the standpoint, is that how do we continue to work to provide the best healthcare we can possibly provide to everyone that needs our help? In answering that question, equity, diversity, inclusivity is vitally important. And thinking through how we can bring that, not just as a uh, topic we talk about at the end of our discussions, but a topic that is integrated into how we plan, uh, how we recruit, and what we develop is going to be our opportunity and not a challenge, but an opportunity. I've been thinking through and, and supporting in our organization, that challenge uh, and that opportunity that we are working to incorporate the work around equity, diversity, inclusivity in thinking and how we think about all aspects of the work that we do, whether it's the work in research, the work in clinical care, the work in education. I've told others, you know, the important part is that this discussion, this piece of work, usually sits at the end of anyone's agenda, uh, any uh, meeting's agenda. We get through the agenda, and then if in the last five minutes, we talk about equity, diversity, inclusivity. 
I've said our goal is to make sure that our discussion uh, about equity, diversity, inclusivity is either number one or number two on the agenda. That allows the proper time to actually address it. It gives it the importance that it needs for us to really move the ball forward. And uh, that's what we're trying to do and doing at Boston Children's in terms of that challenge. When I talk to our colleagues across the healthcare uh, entities uh, in the city of Boston, they are directly addressing this opportunity in much the same way. What I've said to them is that our failure will be that a year from now, we're not talking about EDI in the same way that we're doing right now, that somehow something else, the next issue uh, takes the space and we're not concentrating on this important issue. Our goal has to be that it stays top of mind, that it stays in front of our caregivers, our administrative leadership, our boards of trustees, so that we solve this issue. We, uh, we get to the opportunity that is in front of us moving forward. And then ultimately it translates to better care for everyone that we're responsible for. I love the reminder to make it integral to all discussions. One question for you is substantial research, including McKinsey, shows that disparities in nutrition, exercise, preventative health care, all can lead to very different health outcomes. I um, would love to learn how Boston Children's has engaged in the broader community and any advice that you have on how other employers um, can help reduce health care disparities in their communities. Our work at Boston Children's has been around how do we engage with our community and listen to our community uh, for the issues that they are confronted with and how can we be part of the solution set. I think that uh, my colleagues across this city and around the, the country will say the same thing from that standpoint. But it's important that we identify uh, the root causes of the issue we're facing and how do we improve the health of our communities. Uh, one of our leaders uh, in our community work uh, has been my uh, educator on this. And she continues to make the point, uh, when all is said and done, one of the key issues that we have to confront, we have to solve, is early childhood education, early childhood support. If we can get there, if we can provide that support for the growth and development of our children at that early age, then we can solve a lot of these issues. And so we've worked to direct our support, our resources uh, to that end by providing grants, opportunities uh, to groups, uh, programs that are working in the community to, uh, to deal with that issue in particular. Not ignoring the other issues, but making sure we're focused on getting to the root of the problem and providing and, and figuring out solutions to that problem. I would urge us all to think about it in that way, identifying the root of the issue uh, that we need to confront and providing resources, support uh, to, the, to those solutions, uh, I think is an opportunity for us to get to those, the solution that we're looking for. Thank you. Great guidance on how we can all engage and step up to, to make an impact here. 
So we've covered a lot of ground today from the impact of the pandemic on children and your workforce to the broader role of children's hospitals in the community and the work that still needs to be done to improve health equity. As we come to the close, I would love to get your thoughts. You know, the pandemic has uh, created unparalleled and unprecedented change and acceleration of innovation. What do you think have been the greatest unlocks, whether it's people, system, processes, or other things that we think will really change the way healthcare is delivered in the future? I want to say one thing that I'm very proud to be part of healthcare. I think that how we, healthcare, has responded to this pandemic uh, has been extraordinary. And I'm very proud of the commitment all of our caregivers, all of our hospitals have shown in our response. There are incredible learnings uh, that we have seen from a technology standpoint, how to utilize technology. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that we always thought that telemedicine was the future. And when we presented to our different groups and our plans for the year, we'd say, well, gosh, uh, we'll make sure that uh, we improve our telemedicine. Uh, and we were so proud prior to the pandemic that we uh, were seeing about 200 to 300 patients per week uh, via telemedicine. Uh, and then we had to go from that to 2,000 a day. <laughs> and we did it, as it turns out, in about a week. Uh, and that let us know that it's not the future, it's the present. And so moving forward, we can't lose that uh, because we've provided an incredible access, uh, incredible opportunity to reach out and touch more families, more patients that need our help. And how we do that moving forward, I think, is vitally important. Another issue is when you talked about innovation is to how do we allow our groups to unlock their innovation? It, it was an environment and it remains an environment where uh, we've put our listening ears on. I've stopped saying no. No is not an option uh, in terms of uh, our solution set. Uh, it, it goes to well, what do we need to make this happen? And how can we move this forward? Because we have no choice. We are going to solve these issues and we're going to utilize the brain power, the people power that we have to do that. And that's a mindset that we're, I think many of us uh, have moved toward as we move forward. The other uh, important learning that uh, I've seen and think, I think many of us would agree with is that communication is so key. Prior to uh, the pandemic, we all thought, and I personally thought we were doing a great job communicating uh, to everyone that works at Boston Children's uh, about our plans, about uh, the issues that face us, and et cetera. And I found out very quickly that how we were communicating pre-pandemic just wasn't going to work, and that our communication during this time has been much more uh, to the point, frequent, transparent, and, uh, in and interactive. And we have found that that has made all the difference because we've talked about some tough issues. We've talked about tough choices. But in order to make that happen, we had to communicate. And I don't want to lose that. I think that's one of the key opportunities that we have moving forward uh, as we go and figure out this pandemic because it hasn't gone away. And I expect that we still have a bit of work to do. But then as we move out of the pandemic, how do we continue to utilize these learnings to move forward? 
Thank you, Dr. Churchwell. Really appreciate that vision of how we can continue to, to learn from the pandemic and go forward. I have one more question for you. As a leader in a stressful and challenging time, how have you managed to stay grounded, calm, and optimistic? It hasn't been that hard, Megan, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I just really appreciate and enjoy the work that I do. I believe the work that I'm part of is probably one of the most important pieces of work that one can be part of, and that's supporting the next generation of our life, of human existence, supporting our children. And I believe that ever since I had the chance to get started in this business, in this opportunity of being a physician, I used to tell my kids, always pick a job, pick a profession, that when you wake up in the morning, you look forward to going to work because that's what I've been able to do. And when I was a physician, I would look forward every morning to getting to the job. And I did pediatric critical care, which you could argue was a stressful position. And what I do now, although I don't take care of patients, I believe that I'm making a difference. I'm part of that multidisciplinary team that is committed and dedicated to the care, to the future of our children. And, you know, that sort of keeps me grounded as we move forward. Dr. Churchwell, thank you so much for your time today. It has been an inspiring and illuminating conversation. Whether it was your role steering Boston Children's for the worst moments of COVID-19 crisis and supporting your people or your work on racial equity and inclusion and supporting the Boston community, it is clear that you have had a steady hand at the helm during a uniquely challenging moment. I'm sure I speak for all of us living here in Boston when I say thank you for what you're doing and we're grateful for your efforts. Thank you. Well, thank you. I uh, greatly appreciate it and thank you for your time.